The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it's in the New Testament section, pages 127 and 128. Now there was a disciple in Damascus, Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food... We're talking about the fear of pain today in our series, Braving the Shadows. And I was trying to think of when have I felt extreme pain, try to relate to the fear of pain. And I was thinking, when I was like seven years old, uh, I was after school playing basketball in the gym, and there was this kid, he was, a, he was a lot bigger than me, I don't know if he was like 10 or 11, um, but several years older than me, and we're playing basketball, and, and I'm beating him at basketball, um, but we're playing, and I think I was dribbling, I don't remember this part, I remember the pain part, but I was dribbling next to him, and I think we fell to the ground, and I, I laid, I fell, you know, face down. And then this bigger kid fell straight on top of me, knocking my face into the floor, breaking my front two teeth. Exposed nerve, which when you're seven, most things are painful, but the exposed nerve was a new kind of pain. Every time the air went through your mouth, this little nerve, this tiny thing about who you are, sent this electric impulse to your brain saying, ah, pain, pain, pain. And, you know, then it's like, do you, how do you talk to anybody? You know, like there's so much going on in that moment. But they had to rush me to, to a, a, like a special emergency dentist person because um, they had to do a, like a partial root canal and see whether the tooth was going to survive or not and all of this. And that was really painful. But I wasn't the person most scared that day. Because, like, I went and played basketball again, you know, the next week or whatever. I'm still playing basketball. I wasn't deathly afraid that the next time I dribbled the ball, I might end up breaking my teeth. But that 11-year-old was more scared because my brother was seven years older than me and did not seem pleased that he had fallen on his brother. And so the rest of that year... He was afraid that somehow pain might come his direction. And that's the way the world works is 
you'd think that you'd be more afraid of someone in pain, but often we're more afraid of the pain that's not there, that's on the horizon, that we're suspicious of, and we live in fear of that potential pain. And so, um, well, last week we talked about generically how do we face our fears? How do we um, take courage and trust in our God to face the shadows of our life? Today we're going to talk about the shadows, the fears of pain. And so we read from Acts chapter 9, and we just read a certain little snippet of that story. But we read the story of Ananias. That's who we focused on in our passage. And Ananias had a prayer time, and he got a personal invitation by God to do something special. He's praying, and he has this vision of God saying directly to him, Ananias. He says, here I am, Lord, which... That's a dangerous statement. Yes, God, what, what would you like me to do? I'm here. And the Lord has a specific request for him, and he does, Ananias does not know what's coming for him next. The Lord says, get up and go to the street called Straight. I love like, I don't know. Hey, go down Blackstone, take a left. You know, he's giving him some directions. You'll find a house. Do you remember Judas, that guy? Uh, not the Judas you're thinking of. <laughs> Different Judas. Um, there's a man from Tarsus named Saul there. And at this moment, he's praying, and he's seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And so God's request, go down the street, find Saul, help him see again. And that doesn't sound so bad. Help somebody see. Uh, But Ananias has heard about this Saul guy, and that makes this request a little bit harder than you would expect. And so Ananias is like, hey, God, you know, people have been talking about this Saul. Have you heard about Saul? I hear you're asking me to go heal him, but just so we're clear, we're talking about the same Saul, right? And so Ananias talks about him. He says, Lord, I've heard from many. It's not a small rumor. Many are talking about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who invoke your name. Wait, so you want me to help Saul see, and when he opens his eyes, he'll say, hey, I was looking for someone like you. Let's go. Let me bind you. Let me take you to go get persecuted and go be imprisoned, maybe to be martyred like Stephen. Go heal the sight of this person who's looking for someone just like you, to harm someone just like you. And I, I can't imagine the kind of feeling Ananias would initially have with that kind of request. And I think about if we were to imagine who has bullied you in your life, who has, has been that fearful presence that you're afraid of what harm might come, and for God to whisper and say, hey, go help that person. Go heal that person. Are we sure? Are you sure this is the right person? I mean, can you imagine, let's say you're an immigrant at the border, and God says, hey, that border agent needs your help. What? But he's looking for me. Yeah, go heal that man. As we think about the extremes of how this would work, of if you were in Nazi Germany and to be a German Jew and have God say, take care of this Nazi. The one who hates me, who thinks I'm less than human? Think about the people imprisoned. 
take care of your, your prison guard. Uh, I remember seeing a, a, a video of this prison where the, the guard had a heart attack. A few weird things in this video. The prison guard has a heart attack. The prisoners are able to actually break open the locked door. <laughs> and then they go and they're performing CPR and they're trying to help the prison guard until the rest of the, the medical staff and other people are able to come. It's like, wait, you want me to help someone who intends me harm? And I think if we try to personalize this, because there's always someone in your life that you're probably not willing yet to actually serve God and help to heal someone. So my example is going to be, put yourself back in time. It's 2002. Public enemy number one in the U.S. would be Osama bin Laden. If you can imagine someone who wants to harm you, who wants to exterminate people because of their religious beliefs or their cultural beliefs or whatever, and what on earth would it have been for yourself to hear God on an occasion say, hey, I want you to heal this person because I have a mission that they might transform, that they might affect the world. They might change extremists. They might change the rulers of the world, and they might see who I am. Like, could you actually embrace that call? Because to Ananias, here's the person who hates you, who wants to exterminate your religious movement, who wants to take you off to prison and kill you. What on earth is it to be called and invited to minister to someone who wants to harm you? That's a tough prayer day. That's a tough call. And not only is Ananias dealing with, do I want Saul to be healed? Do I want him to regain sight? Am I going to be harmed through this? What are my friends, what are my family, what are my other church members gonna think of me going to help this guy? They don't get the vision. I'm alone in my vision to go help Saul. What are others gonna think about me going to help this guy? And that's the position Ananias is placed in in the story, to go heal the person who seeks to harm you. And so Ananias heads off to a house to meet Saul. And this story is not just Ananias' story about the fear of, of pain, but we also have the story of Saul and what is his fear of pain going to be. As someone who caused so much harm and then harm is going to come his way in his story, Saul goes through a major transformation in Acts chapter 9. When the chapter starts, he's uh, giving his vote of s- approval and support to the, the stoning of Stephen, uh, I think which is the first um, martyrdom story after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection in our, in our text. But he's supporting that, but he's not just supporting it and being along the way of like, yeah, this is good. But then he's going to chief priests and saying, hey, I'd like your support. Can I get something in writing saying that you want me to go find some people on this, in this religious movement so I can bring them back to you so we can try them? He's zealous for this mission. It's not just along the way, like, let me go find people for you so we can go persecute them. He doesn't think of it as persecuting. He thinks of it as holy judgment of God on these heretics. But he's zealous to go cause harm to people and he has ambition about it and he gets authority for it from the chief priests. And yet, he's going to have a transformation moment. And so he's having a prayer and he's 
uh, he's already had this, this vision of Jesus stopping him in his tracks and saying, hey, you're persecuting me. And it's left him confused and disoriented and blinded to what on earth he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to go. And he's waiting on this man, Ananias, to have their faith to show up and to heal him. And so he's in the house waiting and Ananias shows up. And the text says, Ananias went and entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul, which Saul was wanting to lay hands on people, but for a very different purpose, to hurt. But Ananias comes and lays his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that the first word we get in our text of this is brother. It's that person that you struggle and wrestle with, can I imagine God asking me to help? Can I imagine God might transform them? Can I imagine God might heal them? To step out in faith and show up and say, brother, sister, we are a family. We are not enemies. My brother Saul. And then he points to their common Lord, the Lord Jesus who was talking to you, was talking to me. He's arranged for us to be together. We have this in common. We're on this mission together. And he offers Saul healing that he might regain his sight. But then it adds another part, and the filling of the Spirit. Now, we didn't get that explicitly in our earlier passage when God gives this message to Ananias. He says, hey, go heal his sight. But here, suddenly, we have the mention of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, with the Spirit's help, Paul and Saul are transformed. As a note, many people think Saul's name gets changed to Paul. That that story never happens. Uh, Saul is his name that's a Jewish name. And Paul is the Greco-Roman kind of name. So when he's going out and dealing with the Gentile world, he goes by the name Paul because that's the name they they can pronounce. They know how to say it. And he's with his Jewish brothers and sisters. He goes by Saul. Um, But we often imagine there's a story of his name being changed here. But the same guy who showed up to harm people, who gets knocked off his path, who has to wait for help, who doesn't know what people might do, Because imagine what Saul in the room might think. I wanted to harm this person. What's this other person going to do when they see me? Maybe they might harm me. Does Saul trust that Ananias actually has good intentions? And yet, Ananias comes, offers healing in the Holy Spirit. And the text says that immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and Saul's sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized, And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, I can't hear that story without thinking about a classic story as an illustration, which I'm sure some of you, many of you may have heard this comparison, but I think it's so fruitful uh, that it's always worth exploring in this text. C.S. Lewis and his Chronicles of Narnia wrote in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader a story about Eustace, a boy who becomes a dragon. Anybody familiar with that story? Well, Eustace uh, sees this hoard of gold in this dragon's lair, and he gets envious, he gets, he gets greedy, and he, he puts on his little gold bracelet, and, and he's sleeping and thinking about all of this gold, and something about that in this magical world of Narnia um, causes him to transform into a dragon. 
He becomes this beastly creature that it's fun that C.S. Lewis does a little body horror that the, that the boy wakes up and he tries to move and he sees a dragon arm and he's scared. He's like, oh no, I, how did I fall asleep next to a dragon? So he tries to move the other way and there's another dragon arm. Oh my goodness, I'm sleeping by, by two dragons. And he doesn't realize that he himself is the beast, that he's become the dragon in the story. And so it's not until he comes up to water that he can see his own reflection and realizes that he is the dragon. And he's this beast and... Um, while he's somewhat scared about it, he has a realization and a temptation for a moment in the story. Uh, it says that in spite of the pain he was feeling, his first feeling when he realized he was a dragon was of relief. It said, there was nothing to be afraid of anymore. He was a terror himself now, and nothing in the world but a knight would dare attack him. He could even get even, even with Caspian and Edmund and all of his friends. Like, I was scared, oh no, I'm a dragon. Oh, oh, I'm a dragon. Now I'm strong. I can go take care of everybody. I can be the big, the big beast in the room and no one will ever stand up to me. But the text goes on and says, but at that moment he thought this, he realized that he didn't want to. He wanted to be friends. He wanted to get back among humans and talk and laugh and share things. And he realized that he was a monster cut off from the whole human race. An appalling loneliness came over him. He began to see that others had not really been fiends at all in his life. And he began to wonder if he himself had been such a nice person as he had always supposed. When he thought of this, the poor dragon that had been Eustace lifted up its voice and wept. A powerful dragon crying its eyes out under the moon in a deserted valley is a sight and sound hardly to be imagined. And this beastly transformation, he's like, how do I, how do I get away from this? This, this armor, these weapons that I have, they're no good, they separate me, they isolate me, they alienate me. How do I get back to being a human again? And in the story, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis's Narnia story, the lion Aslan is always the stand-in character for Jesus. The lion shows up in the story and the dragon, Eustace, wants to be transformed back. And the lion invites him to this pool-like area, which for some reason is, looks like a baptistry. It's this pool with these marble steps that lead up to it. And he invites him to this pool and the lion asks him to unclothe himself, which Eustace realizes is a little weird because he's not wearing clothes. And then he realizes, oh, I'm supposed to shed this, this, this dragon self. And so there's three scenes of him scraping at himself and scraping all these scales off and he starts to see his skin and he feels like he's done it and he gets to the pool and he sees his reflection and nope, still a dragon. And he realizes he can't take the scales of himself off and he needs help. And so then the lion offers help and the lion offers to help him transform back and he's afraid and it says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you but I was pretty desperate now. And so this dragon, even though they look scary, is afraid of the lion, and the lion shows up and it says, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling that stuff peeled off. And when he peeled off that, be that beastly stuff, 
It got thicker and darker and more knobbly. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had ever been. And he caught hold of me. And he threw me into the water. And it startled me for a moment. And after that, he became perfectly, it became perfectly delicious swimming around in this water with your arms again, with your feet, with your legs. And he wasn't able to scrape enough of the scales off himself because he realized that it never actually hurt even when he was scraping himself. But it took a little bit of pain of the lion transforming him, ripping it deeper out of him to reveal that he was a boy again. And we ourselves don't realize how much of a dragon we become in our lives, that we put on the scales of armors, um, that we have claws to hurt, that we have teeth and we have fiery breath to like, I mean, who's ever said something they've regretted, right? We've got our own fiery breath. And we've put up our own defenses so that when people have hurt us, we, like, we don't want to be hurt again, and so we put up our scales. And we don't realize until we look into some sort of spiritual divine mirror that maybe we've turned a little bit into a dragon in need of a God who can transform us who could turn us into the humans we were made into being. And so maybe you might know those bullies in your life, those people that were most painful to you, that when it came down to it, yeah, they were dragons, but they were lonely, crying dragons, isolated and broken, and also looking for transformation. And so Saul in this story had become a little bit of a dragon with scales over his eyes, and it took a lot to transform Saul. He had to have a vision of, of Christ appearing to him, saying, why are you persecuting me? He had to have a dream about Ananias and, hey, hey, go show up here. Trust that Ananias will help you. God gave a vision to Ananias to go show up to help Saul. And ultimately, it took the Spirit of God filling Saul to knock the scales off. And that is good news that scales can come off, that healing can happen. Because everyone in this room is both a villain and a victim in the world's story. We have both harmed people and been harmed. And we're in the midst of that pain, looking for healing and transformation in a challenging world. And the good news of Acts 9 is we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay dragons. We don't have to stay afraid of dragons. But in this story, in our world of pain, God is close by, not distant, not caring about your pain, but shows up on a Damascus road saying, why are you persecuting me? Saul, why are you hurting me? Because we often feel like, oh, well, you know, God and I are good. I can be terrible to this person down the street or yell at that person that cut me off on the road, or whatever it is. But that doesn't affect my relationship with God. Like, God and I are tight. But Saul sees this vision of Jesus saying, you're persecuting me. You think about the story in Matthew. Lord, when did I clothe you? When did I feed you? When did I visit you? When you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. And so the pain that we inflict on others is also a pain into God's creation that God is not okay with, that God shows up to say, why are you causing pain? And so 
the good news is not just that God feels the pain with us, but that God does something about it. And I love the image of like this concurrent prayer, like Ananias and Saul are both praying. You get a little bit of the image of like Jesus with arms stretched out to both sides of a conflict, to both sides of, of harm and, and healing, and reaching out to both sides to draw them closer to him and closer to each other. And so the journey, though, isn't over for Saul and Ananias just because you, you've had the scales fall off of yourself. Saul is going to go and get a lot of more pain. That's just the reality of his story. He's going to be persecuted. They're going to try to kill him later in this chapter. Um, the world's not easy and perfect just because of this moment. But Christ is inviting them into that same mission of restoring and healing the pain and the brokenness and the animosity we have for each other. And so the Lord unites them and invites us to unite others in our lives. How do we reach out to help those who are still living as dragons? How do we reach out to offer the Spirit of God that can heal and transform? And the good news is also that even if you've never even if you've never gone and accepted that transformation, that invitation is still out there. And sometimes we need a renewing of that transformation. Say, hey God, I, suddenly scales have built up on me and I need some, some, some of your cleansing, healing power. But the story is an invitation that God might cleanse us and renew us so that we can become fully human as God intended us. Because to be human is to be vulnerable because it's to be social, to be in a community where you could be harmed, but that we could be so much more than that. We could be healers. We can work together. And so I want to close us with an image from C.S. Lewis. He closed that chapter with this. It would be nice and fairly near, it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate though, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses and there were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice, the cure had begun. And I think that we are all invited to the great physician, to God, who has the medicine the healing that we all seek. And yeah, sometimes we fall short and we still have relapses, but we are on that journey of healing together. May we also brave the shadows to trust that others can be healed too. We're not just the unique test cases, but God might even transform the people you least expect to transform. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, I don't know who in this room is here this morning feeling the pain that someone else has inflicted to them. Uh, Lord, we ask for healing for all who are here who have been harmed, which we know all of us have been harmed, but some are sitting with that pain more present, more real in this moment. Whether that's the pains internal or external. Lord, I just ask for your peace and your comfort to, to flow through that person, through each of those people. Lord, if, if someone's here and they realize that, that they have hurt and they have harmed someone, which we all have, 
But if there's someone on their heart that they've hurt and they realize that, Lord, I ask that you would give us a spirit of tenderness, a spirit also of courage, to be about transformation, to be willing to take off the armor and the claws, and to let you work at our heart. Lord, we ask that you would help us to confess where we've fallen short, and that we would feel encouraged and supported to follow you anew. Lord, we ask that you would change our our vision of this world, that whoever seems like an enemy, that you might give us eyes to see as a potential brother and sister, and that whoever we feel far from, we might have hope that you might move and transform them just as you transform us. Jesus, is in your name that we pray. Amen.